The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It's Thursday, March 17th. My name is Ian Fisher. Today marks the start of yet another year of March Madness. Of course, to most, March Madness is shorthand for the annual NCAA basketball tournament. But for many of our listeners, March Madness might be a title more aptly applied to the period of waiting to hear admissions decisions from the schools to which you've applied. This is one of the toughest times of year for seniors, and I want to encourage you to hang in there. Everything will be clear in a few short weeks. Uh, Today's show, we're going to be covering a range of topics. We'll be discussing the process of appealing financial aid awards with finance expert Michelle Clifton, and I'll be catching up with one of my former students about his first year at Brown. Uh, He's a freshman there right now. But first, I'd like to talk about something that made waves in the world of college admissions at the end of January, the Turning the Tide report from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Now, this is a report on the current state of college admissions, including criteria that schools use to evaluate students, and it was endorsed by admissions deans and directors at institutions from all over the country at various levels of selectivity, including the most selective institutions. Uh, For today's discussion, I'm actually going to welcome two of my colleagues. Elise Krantz is a frequent guest and former senior admissions officer at Bennington and Barnard. Hey, Elise. Hi there. And Beth Heaton, who you should all know quite well by now, uh, is a former senior admissions officer at Penn. Glad to have you both. Hi. Hi, Ian. It's fun to join um, on this side of the desk, as it were. Great to have you as a guest. Um, and as I said before the show, you can, you're can you off hosting duty today. So let's dive right into the report. Um, the full title is Turning the Tide, Inspiring Concern for Others and the Common Good Through College Admissions. Elise, I'd like to start with you. Can you just sort of point out what you think are some of the central points of this report? Sure. So the report, is it comes from, as you mentioned, through the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and they're really trying to make recommendations that will help students in high school, the high schools themselves and colleges, um, create students who share uh, an interest in their communities, who are curious about helping others, and who are looking out of their comfort zone to really engage with those who may be different from themselves. So the three overarching recommendations from the report are that students try to engage more in community service. Uh, That's the first. The second is that students try to access others uh, from a diverse background, whether it's uh, economic diversity or racial diversity, that students are trying to ethically engage with people who are different from themselves. 
And the final overarching recommendation is that colleges and high schools try to reduce the pressure that students are feeling in high school and to help students maybe who have limited resources uh, really compete against those students who are coming from more savvy backgrounds. Right. So there I mean, three basic ideas there. And, and the ideas go, as you said, to three different audiences. I think, you know, the, the families initially, when they see this kind of thing, I think they, they see it as a positive uh, sort of piece of advice. Um, colleges, you know, I wonder sort of to what degree this is new content for colleges. Beth, I mean, when you were looking at this report, do you feel like you were seeing things that went against the grain of what you were looking for when you were reading applications for Penn? Or is this sort of consistent with some of the things that were important to you as an admissions officer? I mean, I think it's, I think a lot of this is sort of um, been there, done that. Yes, fairly consistent with the kinds of things we were looking for. Um, although I was always very clear when I was an admissions officer at Penn and now in my work um, with students privately that colleges really don't care if you do community service because a lot of times the way that I would see students approaching it was, well, I've done this, I've done this, and now I need to take care of the community service. Um, And and the reason I always said colleges don't care is because what really we mostly cared about was that students had some things that they were interested in and that they were pursuing those interests. And if those interests took them out into the community to do some things in the community related to their interests, that was great. But the idea that you should somehow just make sure that you had your 50 community service hours just was kind of a, a really a backwards way of looking at it. And I do think this report really, for me, was a little bit like, well, no, duh, of course. That's exactly what we've always encouraged students to be doing. And yet, so when you say colleges don't care about community service, that resonates with me about a year and a half ago. I think I wrote a blog post for our college coach blog Uh that literally colleges don't. To look at this particular report, there seems to be some extra emphasis placed on service above and beyond the conversation. For me, that seemed to be a, a major difference in what we were hearing here versus what colleges typically talk about. And Elise, you had sort of described some of the value of community service when we did a recent exchange on our blog about this report. Do you think that this changes the role of community service in the high school experience, or are you more in agreement with what Beth is saying about, you know, just get involved in some way or another um, that that shows your sort of excitement and and commitment? It's hard because I think the what the report is trying to do, I mean, it's, it's coming from this notion of they want students to be more caring. They want students to be more engaged. And the idea that, you know, these little stints of community service won't change somebody, I would probably agree with that. I think most people in admissions would agree with that, which is why we don't necessarily or we're not necessarily impressed by a student who had a very flashy internship at a big-name company where we know they probably weren't contributing all that much. So by the report specifically advising students to get what they call authentically and meaningfully engaged in their communities to serve the greater good. I mean, it sounds lofty, it sounds wonderful, but why not? Why not encourage students to, d- to dive in a bit deeper and instead of just doing a few hours here and a few hours there, but really trying to um, find a way to connect and give a full year of volunteering in a way that is meaningful for them, not just a random service activity, but why not get involved? It, it could make a difference and, and help change someone's view and 
lead to that ultimate, perhaps, goal of becoming more, more caring and, and aware of the world around you. Right. So, so let me just do a quick rapid fire with, with both of you. Tell me whether you agree or disagree with these three basic recommendations. And I have a feeling about how this is going to go. But the first is that students should engage with service or community meaningfully. Agree or disagree? Agree. Agree. Okay. Students should work in groups to address community problems. Sure. Why not? Sounds great. Sounds great, right? I don't think it needs to be forced in that way, but if a student does better individually, I'm fine with that too. But yes, group work is is beneficial probably for some. Great. And then the third is students should have meaningful experiences with diversity. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? I hugely agree agree with that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So now the question that I would ask you is, how do you know about this? If you're an admissions officer and you've got the tools that are provided through an application, you have a student who's submitting essays, letters of recommendation, grades, test scores, all of the traditional things we see in a college application. How would you actually evaluate these kinds of things with the tools that are currently provided? Or do you need to go outside of that toolbox to be able to look at this stuff? Either of you can go ahead and answer that. Um, I'll jump in. You know, I think it's a really good question, and what I fear may end up happening is, you know, one of the things I used to say when I was talking to people who were interested in Penn uh, and talking about the essays and and the things to think about writing was that maybe they wouldn't, shouldn't write about community service because they were writing about what we, they thought we wanted to hear about rather than you know, just telling us something important about who they were. And so my big fear is that they're, um, they're now going to go even further to that side and say, oh, well, I want to write about this because they care about me as a caring person. Um, you know, I think the tools they have could potentially suss that out, but, you know, I would argue that how can anyone really say? You almost need to be inside someone's head to say if they are truly engaged in these things. And, you know, it raises so many questions for me about how do the students find these opportunities and if they're created for them, is that any different than signing up to go build houses in Costa Rica? I mean, I sort of, I sort of land on, I think these ideas are wonderful. It would be great if students actually acted on them, but I don't know that there is a tool that exists that helps you adequately and accurately assess how well they've achieved uh, at this level. Yeah, right. I, I, so I, that I, sounds, I, Lise, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree that the essay um, likely will be a big part of it for colleges that want to take this advice um, in the uh, in a press release that was issued by the Harvard Graduate School of Education, they mentioned how Yale has already decided that they will be adding a new supplement or, or maybe switching, swapping one out of one of their old ones, but they will be specifically asking students to reflect on their contributions to family or community or the public good. So the essay is a place where this could be sussed out. The student's resume would be a place to see what level of engagement a student has. But I wonder if the the notion of a peer recommendation might be a way for colleges that don't already employ that tool for uh, for them to figure out really who is the student outside of their school context. So if a student has done some really interesting service work, um, this would be the opportunity for them to not feel like they're adding on 
another supplemental letter that nobody wants to read, but if a college is saying we really would like to see a letter of recommendation from a peer or uh, an adult member of your community, which I guess technically wouldn't be a peer, but a supplemental letter in that form, if it were encouraged, uh, that could be a great way to, to get a sense for how the student has engaged meaningfully. So do you think that that means then that, that students are going to be, I mean, you know, we can talk a little bit about whether this report has any traction, whether it's going to inspire any real changes. I mean, you mentioned sort of the Yale uh, essay prompt, Elise. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but do you think that this, you know, if this does gain traction, that, that students then have to think a little bit more about what the application requirements are for the schools that they want to apply to and and are tailoring sort of what they're participating in to be in accordance with those schools? Or does it then put the burden on students to be able to find the appropriate match with colleges that share their values and are looking for things that they maybe are, are prioritizing in their own lives? Well, you know, one thing that drove me a little to distraction when I was reading through this report is there are a number of times where they reference in the report how many students try to game and they put, you know, game in parentheses, um, or not in parentheses, in quotes, the system. I'm putting it in quotes. I can't remember if they did. And I thought that was really a pejorative way to talk about students and families because in my experience, they're just trying to do what they, what it sounds like is necessary from an admissions point of view. And that's kind of at the heart of what I don't love about this report, which is all these families and students have been trying to do all these years is really just, you know, put themselves together in such a way that colleges will respond with good news. And this just feels like more of the same. It's just that now we're changing criteria. And I end up feeling like, yeah, that that now all that's going to happen is that they're going to go out and look for more community service opportunities how is that any different than going out and looking for a research opportunity? I suppose maybe now they're doing a little bit more good, but do we then wind up with another homogenous group of applicants who all look the same, and then it makes it even more difficult to distinguish amongst them? I don't know. That's my cynical side coming out. No, I, so I, I wrote a, a response, an op-ed on our blog that, that covered this exact issue, which is that you know the challenge, I think, that turning the triad is trying to solve is really a challenge of just communication of colleges explicitly telling students and families what it is that they're looking for, um, of whether there's a really significant difference between taking 10 APs or nine APs. And those are the kinds of things that students, you know, for lack of a better term, kill themselves over because they're trying to take the most rigorous curriculum available, but a little bit more clarity from colleges about what they want out of applicants I think could be really, really useful. Um, Elise, do you think that this report is more useful insofar as it prescribes changes from admission or insofar as it clarifies what the position of admission might be for those that are reading it? It sounds like the authors of the report really are looking to make changes. I think they're acknowledging the frenzy and the craze that surrounds college admissions, and they're saying it doesn't have to be this way, and that it's okay to be your genuine, authentic self. Now, that is, I think, a nice point, but 
I think a lot of people who perhaps read this report, and you said earlier, Ian, that you know families probably are reading this and, and are being happy with the way it's sounding, but I think a lot of people might read it and say, great, I can be my authentic self, and I don't need to worry about taking all these APs, and I can just do a lot of community service, and um, I don't need to stress out about testing because in the report they de-emphasize testing and how that shouldn't be a huge factor, and I'll get into Harvard now. And Bill Fitzsimmons, the dean of Harvard, did an interview yeah. recently with the Harvard Crimson, the, the school's paper, saying, uh, nope, we, we like pieces of the report, but we're not relaxing our academic rigor. We're not relaxing our expectations for what students are taking. Um, so it's, it's, just, it's hard, I think, to, to look at this and, and want, you know, we want to see the change. I, I, don't, I think we would all agree that there's too mm-hmm. much stress in this process for students, but simply telling them to do more community service isn't going to fix that. And, and to your point, Elise, it, it's great if, if the student is saying, wow, now I can be my authentic self, but what if your authentic self is not someone who wants to do community service, right? Mm-hmm. What if your authentic self is someone who really wants to be holed up in a lab because you're hoping to find a cure for cancer? I would argue that that's going to be super useful to the squirrels if you can do that, and what if your authentic self is someone who wants to spend a lot of time on the basketball court or a lot of time playing video games? So, you know, I, I just, for me, the idea that community service should be singled out as the, you know, be-all, end-all is also feels a little inauthentic. Um, g- great in theory, but not right for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, a couple of things, I think that, you know, Elise, it's, it's, I appreciate your mentioning that uh, interview in the Harvard Crimson. That was something that I was going to ask you about because you sent that to me right after it was published. Um, and, and to me, this turning the tide, you know, for really, really selective schools like Ivy level schools, um, sort of signing on to this, it feels more like a way of encouraging most of the students who are going to be denied that they shouldn't be killing themselves over their APs and their test scores because they're not going to get in anyway. So it's a way to say, hey, why don't you just take it easy a little bit, um, focus on some of the things that you love, look at some community service. This is a way for you to improve your high school experience because you're you're not going to be competitive for Harvard as it is. Those who are going to be competitive for Harvard are going to be doing all the things that are advised in this report and also doing excellent academic work that is distinguishing from from other students that we look at. I want to ask you both just sort of a question. This is more of a philosophical question I'm sort of interested in. The report sort of suggests that college applications or college admissions is a way of changing behavior, changing priorities um, within what high school students are doing, that you can adjust the application to enforce values. Um, And just I'd like to just get your brief take on whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't. I have a hard time imagining the admissions process changing from the way that I've known it for as long as I've known it, from the time when I was applying to college back in 1998 to now. I just, it feels like even if the application changes, you know, maybe it's because they're trying to draw out different characteristics in students. Like I know a few years ago, Tufts made headlines because they were looking for ways to learn about students in unique ways, and they were asking very tailored essay questions to, to learn about their strengths and their characters and their values. And that could work really well for Tufts. Um, but I, I just, I have a hard time imagining that 
that colleges admissions, especially at the more selective level, could ever really move away from focusing on what we at College Coach always say are the most important pieces of it, which is your, your grades and your rigor. How could it ever be more than, than do you have the ability to succeed? Um, you know, and then beyond that, of course, we want you to be a good person and, and be involved and contribute, but I, I, I have a hard time imagining how those values could really play a, a major role in admissions moving forward. You know, I, I have two things that I wanted to say. The first is, you know, when you get beyond the, the very selective level, so the most selective and then kind of the schools below that, the reality is that just doing some things outside of the classroom is really wonderful, and colleges are excited to see that, and, you know, they like to see nice grades, and they have different expectations about what those grades are going to be and what the test scores are going to be. This feels very at some level, elitist to me, this whole kind of turning the tide thing and, and the people who probably are going to pay the closest attention are the ones who are going to be looking at some of those most selective schools. Um, and I agree. I don't see them getting away from really great grades and at this point really high test scores anytime soon. And I also feel like it's not the college application process's job to try to get people to change their values or their, what they think is important. And, you know, I think in the end it should be more about if they really want to turn the tide, if they really want to make this process more stressful, how about um, limiting the number of applications that students can um, submit? I mean, good luck getting that one through, but, you know, how about eliminating rankings? How about all the colleges refusing to give data to U.S. News & World Report and saying, you know what, we don't want to play that game because it's about best fit. I, through a lot of this, I felt like I'd like to see them put their money where their mouth is rather than expecting families to be the ones and students, more importantly, to be the ones who have to change all the things that they're doing. So I'm not sure, Ian, if I even really answered your question, but you know, that's kind of where I net out on this, that there are other ways they could turn the tide um, that would be more appropriate to what this process is supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there are really great points to be had in everything that both of you are saying, and I, I wish we had a little bit more time to unpack more about this report, and especially to talk about, you know, some of the things that are good takeaways for families to think about with respect to um, concepts like overcoaching and challenging themselves past the point of what they feel comfortable with. And I think, you know, Beth will probably just have to do this as a segment on a, a show coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, that sounds good. Great. So thank, thank you both for, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Um, we've got uh, Mike Kalana coming up next on, um, in our next segment, but don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know the best way to find us live is on the Voice America website at voiceamerica.com or on our website at getintocollege.com. You can also subscribe to and download the podcast on iTunes. That'll ensure you never miss a single piece of our advice, whether you're on a run or stuck in traffic. So if you've got a moment this week and you're a regular listener to the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review of the show for future listeners. Uh, we really appreciate that feedback. Okay. Um, Over the last few weeks, we've had a number of college coach alumni on the show to talk about their process of selecting the best fit college for them. If you missed any of those segments, go on back into the archives and take a look. Um, Today, we continue that series with Michael Kalana, a current freshman at Brown and a former student of mine. Uh, Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I want to talk all about your experience at Brown, how you're liking your time there as much as we can, but I want to backtrack a little first and focus on uh, your experience sort of researching colleges. I, th- I think you and I started working together late spring of your junior year. By then, right, you were sort of right, right. already you're already kind of in your process. Can you remember when you started thinking about college? At what time did that sort of start up? College started to like really be important to me around uh, the middle of junior year when people started taking their SATs and ACTs. Um, I remember that was the time when I started to really feel pressure from at least everybody around me. Like everybody was um, coming up with lists and everybody was like telling me about their first, you know, their top choices. And I didn't really have anything going on and I started to freak out a little bit. <laughs> so, um, okay. so like, I'm glad I wasn't there pressure, for <laughs> Through that pressure, um, I think I got encouraged and I, I went to my parents and I said, look, I think I need to start talking about college. And they were like, yep, I think you're right. And we, st- and we just sat down and went through this huge, the huge fist guide to colleges and just started, you know, doing some uh, rudimentary research. And that's when I first started getting involved. 
So you always struck me as a student who had a pretty good grasp of what you liked about education in general, the kind of the style or fit of how you wanted to be instructed, what sort of environment you were looking for. You, you seem to have a direction. Um, right. When you were thinking about college abstractly, um, what were some of the things that you were looking for out of a school? Right. So I think like the most important thing for me when I was looking at schools, and this sounds kind of idealistic and not everybody, you know, is able to like, you know, have this opportunity, but like I wanted to go to a school where I would come out the other end, just a more mature and more experienced person, not necessarily, you know, focusing on, on a career or a major, but just one, but as, as nice as that would be. Um, but, one in which, you know, the most important thing was just a growth as a person and an exposure to a variety of different people and backgrounds because I came from a, a very, like, you know, bubble-wrapped town, and uh, I definitely wanted to break out of that. That was the most important thing for me. Interesting. And, and so some students I'll talk about it can articulate sort of what they're looking for out of the vibe of campus, the people they want to be around. It's, it's an mm-hmm. entirely different thing to try and figure out what the campus vibe is once you're there or as you're doing mm-hmm. research. Right? You can say what you want, but trying to identify it sort of in the wild is difficult. Um, what were things that you were looking for when you were visiting campuses, when you were researching that uh, were indicators to you that it was the right kind of atmosphere that you, you wanted? Um, main thing was enthusiasm. I remember going through, um, I remember visiting colleges with my parents along the East Coast, uh, spring break of junior year, and um, the things that drew me most to the school that I loved the most, uh, which were Duke and Brown, which were the, um, were the students and their passion for not only their school, but for the activities they were involved in. And um, that really drew me in. Another thing that, especially in, in um, educational, like educational environment-wise, um, was this like non-cutthroat, non-competitive environment that, you know, that I really loved. I loved the more collaborative, like collective environment, um, not one in which uh, you were trying to, you know, uh, we, were, we were constantly comparing grades or, or trying to, I don't know, sabotage each other, you know, for, to get to the top. I never really was a, a fan of those types of environments. Gotcha. Okay, that sounds good. Um, it, one of the things that we were actually just talking in the last segment about this, and I wanted to get a take from you on this, because you, you're a pretty good student, um, you know, sort of, we could say that, um, I, I, and you had some, some activities and interests that you were engaged in. Do you feel like the choices you were making about how you were spending your time as a high school student were always following your interests, or were there things that you felt like you had to do if you wanted to go to college? I think there were definitely a lot of um, activities that, you know, that, I mean, my entire class did the same thing where we, we, we all would just throw um, activities on our resume as resume boosters. And that was, you know, just a part of the, the nature of, of our environment. Um, I tried not to do that as much. I tried to be a little more authentic and at the same time, I wish I had gotten more deeply involved in a couple of um, activities where my interests were really peaked. But um, for the most part, I think the activities that I felt strongly about, which were uh, track and field and uh, the newspaper, 
um, I, I try to emphasize those activities the most. And uh, I think I did a, I think I did an, uh, a good job of expressing the most interest in those. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and, and you're a great writer. I mean, that shows with the essays that you wrote. Um, you can see that sort of in your commitment to the newspaper. You're also sort of, uh, you're really interested in science as well. Um, mm-hmm. And you did a, that research program at, at BU um, over the summer before your senior year. I'm wondering if you learned anything from that experience that was useful in just sort of telling you a little bit about the college environment that you wanted or maybe what you might be interested yeah. in studying in, in college. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the, the experience at BU was like a little simulation of what dorm life was like and, and, and mostly the, the, the independence of what it was like to be away from your parents and, you know, um, not at home. And, and, and that was a huge thing that really opened my eyes to what the college experience is going to be like. But in terms of, um, like studies and, and, and interests, uh, that experience really brought forth my, my, you know, my kind of low key and, uh, interest in and love for astronomy um, and it was after that experience that I decided like, wow, I really, you know, if I, if I, like, at the very least, I really want to pursue this in college. And I did. And it, it's worked out pretty well, you know. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that there, I mean, you were, when you were in that project, in that, that internship, you, it was a lot of work, but you really loved it. Um, it seemed to be something that was a really great investment of your time, not just Mm -hmm. in terms of the experience, but also just the content of what you were, what you were getting out of it. And that's, I think a good plug for, for students out there to think about ways that they can use their summer to learn about themselves and also potentially explore an interest that can then, you know, give rise to an experience, uh, in college. Um, right. Absolutely. So we get into the early fall and you and I are having conversations. You're visiting some other schools. And I think it really came down to two. You mentioned Duke and Brown. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, were, you really wanted to apply early decision. Um, and these were your clear top two. Um, can you talk me to a, a little bit of, of what your thought process was as you were weighing Duke versus Brown or, or just thinking about yourself at those places? Right. So when I first visited Duke, I absolutely fell in love with the campus it's a beautiful campus i fell in love with the kids they're all seem so passionate and enthusiastic and um i love the 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 culture even though even though i'm not like the, the so sporty i love the envi- the sports environment and the and the sense of community that um duke built out of that and it reminded me a lot of home um but the but what kind of scared me at the same time was like it was a lot like home, you know, and, and it reminded me a little bit too much of home. And also it was a little too far from home to, um, that it was a little too far for comfort. Uh, what I loved about Brown was this, the similar enthusiasm, but at the same time I get this whole range of, uh, opinions and, and people from different backgrounds, people from all over the world, people from, you know, um, and, and this, and this approach to education that's, less a means to an end and more about developing a sense of, of who you are and what you enjoy. And, and, you know, um, that's really, uh, that was really the dichotomy between Duke and Brown with the, with the, um, approach to education. That was what really made the difference right. for me. 
Right, Brown being sort of intrinsic value in educational exploration and, and Duke being a little bit more utilitarian in understanding education as instrumental in future outcomes. Right. Um, right. I don't know if when we were working together, I tipped my hand at all of where I hoped you would choose. I hope I didn't. Um, one of the <laughs> conversations that we had was um, just different versions of, of yourself, right? So you're, you would have done well at both schools. Uh, but right. thinking about how you might grow in one environment uh, versus another. Um, mm-hmm. And so now you're at Brown. You've been there for a semester and a half or so. Um, what, what's different from what you expected? I think you had a pretty good idea of what Brown was going to be before you went. You, you sort of hit the mm-hmm. nail on the head about the atmosphere there. What's different right. from what you were expecting? Um, so, like... When I first came into Brown, I was really enthusiastic about the whole um, open curriculum, and I still am. I think the open curriculum is great, but what I didn't expect when I came in was the huge pressure that it puts on the student to direct. Um, like I didn't, I, I underestimated the pressure that it would put on the student to direct his his you know, um, basically education path and. Um, making the right decision in my classes, choosing which class to cherry picking and choosing which class to take was something I've never done before and something that I've never um, had to worry about. Uh, In high school, everything was kind of laid out on a path and I never really had to worry about whether or not I was taking the right class, a class that was conducive to developing a better sense of self. Um, But now I I, I realize that like, I, I, that decision kind of carried a lot of weight and, um, that's definitely been a little unexpected, but it's also helped push me. And, uh, I feel a little more, um, mature and, and cautious in my decision-making when it uh, comes to education and, and the, and the classes I want to take. But, um, it's ultimately been a very like rewarding experience. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I, that's, I, I mean, that's exactly something that I tell students when they're interested in Brown is that the open curriculum sounds like freedom, but what it just does is it puts the responsibility on you as a student to choose what you're going to take rather than a core curriculum, which is sort of set right. for you to take. Um, and that can right. be empowering for some students. Like it can be, you can freeze up too if you're like, I don't, how do I choose? Um, right, uh, exactly. What, what's your, what have you sort of gotten involved in um, as a student at Brown? I know you, you had some very specific interests in high school that you pursued. Um, what are right. some of the things that you're doing now at the college level? So one of, the, one of the things I really wanted to pursue that I never really got a chance to do in high school was my interest in like movies and filmmaking. And I got involved pretty early on in um, Brown Motion Pictures, which is this uh, uh, club that, 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 gets funded and produces about four short films a semester. So last semester I worked on um, a short film called Circles. And even though I was just a crew member, I wasn't a director or or screenwriter. I was just a crew member. I learned a lot uh, about the filmmaking process. And um, I actually had a really great time. It was really, really great. And now this semester I've gotten involved in a uh, variety show that that some Brown students got together and are trying to put on. Um, a more like an SNL live show type type show. Cool. And cool. Uh, that at the same time has posed, it's, you know, I mean, has posed different challenges, and but um, it's overall been a really fun experience. And, you know, 
it's given me opportunities to like explore parts of myself that I never really felt like I had a chance to in high school. That's great. I'm glad you, it sounds like you're really having a good time. One final question I want to ask you, most students make their decision in April or, or just before May 1st, you decided by applying, applying ED. And I'm curious when you heard back from Brown between when you knew you got in and, and starting there, was there, did you feel, feel any kind of regret that you wish you'd seen other applications go in and, and had had other options or did you feel totally secure in that, in that choice? I mean, like, of course, I was a little bit curious. You know, I, I wondered, and I, it, it, it kind of didn't let me imagine myself as much in other schools. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think that curiosity was definitely overcome by this sense of relief, you know? And I yeah. think the main thing that I felt, the main, the, like, and then watching my peers, you know, get stressed and anxious was, it, it, it made me feel a little more relieved, you know, that I didn't have to go through this process. I think ED, if, if a student wants to go ED um, and is considering it, they should definitely uh, go for it because it, it pays off and it takes the stress off of the back end of senior year a lot if it works out. Great. And it takes the stress out of the, the college counselor, too. I mean, it was great that you were in and we didn't have to work on any more applications. Um, right, right. So that was that was terrific. Um, although I miss reading your essays. You're a terrific writer. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's great to hear from you, Mike. Um, I, it was really pleasure to talk to you. And, and it was a great uh, pleasure to work with you last year. And um, good luck with the rest of your freshman year in Brown and, and going forward. Hey, thanks so much, Ian. All right, that's, that's it for the second segment of the show. We're going to talk about financial aid appeals when we come back, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back for our final segment of today's show. It's St. Patrick's Day today, so we're going to talk a little green, uh, specifically how you would appeal your financial aid decision. I'd like to welcome to the show my colleague, Michelle Clifton, former senior financial aid officer at Babson College. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Ian. It's great to have you. Um, Financial aid appeals, I think, are something that a lot of families are really stressing about at this time of year. Um, They're getting their admissions decisions. The financial aid packages are coming. And in some cases, it might look like you know what, this isn't exactly the aid package we were expecting. Um, can you start just by telling our listeners what exactly a financial aid appeal is, the sort of definition of it? Yes, of course. So a financial aid appeal is the process that's recognized by financial aid offices for families to request reconsideration of their need-based aid that was awarded. So basically, this is the financial aid that was awarded by filing the FAFSA and in some cases the CSS profile. So basically, it's a family's opportunity to explain to the financial aid office why the information on the FAFSA has changed and is no longer reflective of your finances, or does it take something specific into consideration? By doing this, you're requesting for more funding. So it's, it's, there are, it sounds like there are circumstances that are involved here. There's not just sort of like, I don't like this. I'm not getting yeah, enough yeah. aid. Um, so there has to be some sort of change. So what are some circumstances where an appeal may be successful if, if, if I'm thinking about doing this with my family? Sure. So there's three main categories that describe the reasons for an appeal um, that are often successful. So high, one is high, not, high non-discretionary expenses. Another could be reduction of income. And then the third would be artificially inflated income. And I can give some examples for each of these. So high discretionary expenses could be out-of-pocket medical expenses, could be educational loan debt in a parent's name, either for themselves or an older child. Uh, It could be expenses for the care of an elderly relative or special needs child. And sometimes colleges will consider the cost of private high school for a younger child. As far as reduction of income, obviously that could be a recent job loss, a reduction in salary or hours, uh, but it could also be child support that's ending soon. So, if, after- so I'm wondering if, if just to, sorry to interrupt, but if, if I'm thinking oh. about um, one of these circumstances as an appeal, should I just go forward with the appeal or should it, is there some sort of resource that I can check to make sure that the circumstances I'm experiencing are something that would be taken into consideration by the financial aid office. Yeah, I mean, if any of these circumstances apply, you could certainly, should, you absolutely should check in with the financial aid office, regardless okay. of the aid you received, because you could potentially receive more. 
So it's it's not a function of like, oh, we can make it work. You know, it's a, we've got this change in circumstances, but we can we can figure out a way to make the ends meet. You might actually be able to appeal and improve your situation with the financial aid office, even if you can afford it with the aid that you're being given. Right, right. Gotcha. So how exactly should a family go through the process of initiating an appeal with a financial yeah. aid office? So financial aid officers love documentation. Um, not one reason, because they're, they're actually auditing each year, and they try to be fair in their assessment of appeals. So if you're, you know, appealing for medical expenses, gather copies of your medical bills, get a recent job loss, get a copy of your most recent pay stub, determination notice, and your statement of unemployment benefit, and put this together with a letter um, explaining that there's a special circumstance that you'd really appreciate if they could consider. It doesn't hurt to mention how excited the child, your child is to attend that college and how much you want to make this possible for them. I always wanted to help families who made it clear to me that they really wanted to attend college that I worked for. Uh, but then on the other hand, they just made me, but I hated when the letters were super, super long. I really just wanted the facts and figures that I needed to see if there's anything I could do to change our need analysis, to award more funding. Um, and I didn't want a ton of fluff. A little okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so stick to the facts, the life story. You know, the biography of the family, from, starting from the grandfather. You don't need to include that. Um, right, but just right. maybe a little little subtle sort of human touch to, to show that there's a person on the other end of these numbers. Exactly. and um, oh, Perfect. It, and I think it's best to, if you can find out who your child's assigned financial aid counselor is, I think it's most perfect to send an email directly to them with the appeal. And then if you don't, received confirmation, received it, you know, within a week, then it's definitely okay to follow up with a phone call. And I, I personally always found it easier to deny appeals if I had only communicated with someone by email. So making that human connection over the phone can help you. Uh, and Interesting. if you happen to get a quick response with a denial, but think that you have a circumstance that really should be considered, I recommend that you don't give up right away and give the counselor a call. At minimal, you can understand why it was denied and see if they'll reconsider. So, uh, at what point in the in the whole application financial aid process does this happen? I mean, typically, financial aid forms are due what around February first or so, and and that's when right. they tend to be processed. So, at what point, uh, you know, do the appeals typically happen on the calendar, and when should a family go through the process of appealing? Yeah. So. I recommend that families do it right after they get their first financial aid award. I don't recommend appealing before because you don't know what the base of your package is that way. They could simply say, oh, yeah, we took your appeal into consideration with the first award. You know, there's nothing else we can do. Um, So I think right after and as early as you can because colleges do tend to get tight on funds the longer you wait. Um, And and then if you happen to be... If appeal happens to be denied, and you could try one more time during the last week of April, even though schools may be out of funding by then, it, it could be a year that that school, maybe they're slightly behind on deposits and getting nervous that they're not going to fill their class, they may throw a couple you know, extra funds your way to see if that'll help you enroll. 
And just from your experience sort of on, on the other side uh, of the desk when you were reviewing these appeals, are, are there a yep. huge number of these that come in every year or is it is it just a handful? I just want to get a sense of are you, are you sort of fighting for time with other families who are also submitting their appeals, which may be another reason to send in a nice letter and to be extra kind to your financial aid officer. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely varies. We we definitely saw a lot when I was at Epson, and I personally, I really liked doing them, so I would spend a lot of time on them, even though I was crunched for time and needing to finalize other awards, so it's definitely a time of a lot of juggling. Um, yeah, I, there certainly can be a large volume. Gotcha. So I've appealed my financial aid. I've written that written that nice letter. I'm, I've placed a phone call, um, and I received. Let's say I received a five thousand dollar increase. I got a little bit more sure. near based aid. What are the questions I should be asking? Should I just be happy and pack it up and walk away, or or do I need to follow up in any way on top of that five thousand dollar increase? That's a great question. Um, you know, after you say thank you. <laughs> Definitely ask if those funds are one-time or renewable and find out if there are situations where they will renew the funds in future years and what they are and what those are. And I actually do say that from experience because when I was at Babson, we would have certain need-based grants that we would award one time from an appeal and other times we would really commit to that for four years. And then also when I worked with my younger sister while she was, applying to college a few years ago, I had her appeal, and she ended up with a $4,000 grant increase. However, I didn't realize until I was looking at her tuition bill senior year that they never renewed her grant, which I had Hmm. assumed they would because her circumstances weren't changing. Um, And to my sister's credit, she was more independent applying for financial aid after the first year and, you know, didn't need me as much. But if I had known that, I absolutely would have had her appeal again. So she potentially lost out on $12,000 if they were willing to renew that 4000 each year. So an appeal is actually something we, we always talk about it on the show in the sort of in the timeline of, of a high school student applying for financial aid. But appeals can happen as a freshman, sophomore, junior at college. Is, is that something that families should also be aware of? Yeah, that's true. Anytime there's a change in circumstance, absolutely reach out to the financial aid office. Great, great. So... Um, let me say, I'm out there, you know, sort of listening to this show, and it sounds like I've got a good grasp on, you know, what the appeal looks like, what I should be doing. Is this something that I should just automatically do if my child is receiving any need-based financial aid? Should all families appeal to see if they can get more money, or is that is there some sort of a drawback to, to that? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, not necessarily. It really does have to be a change or special circumstance. And not only that, but the family has to be eligible for need-based aid. So, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've received appeals. With, they could have even had valid circumstances. The family's income just put them way out of the ballpark of eligibility. So there wasn't anything I could do to get them need-based aid. However, many families have the opportunity to negotiate. Gotcha. Yeah, so negotiation is actually will be the topic of our finance segment next week on the radio show. Um, And we'll be talking all about um, how you can actually negotiate differences in your recruitment scholarship. Um, And and so, you know, I think that that's great for families that maybe aren't seeing any need-based financial aid, but are looking at potentially different offers from institutions based on recruitment aid. 
Um, one other question that I had, Michelle, which is, um, it, should I use maybe a, an EFC um, after I get my financial aid award just to sort of check what the EFC is in comparison to what I've been offered? Is that a good way to sort of, you know, get a sense of what maybe I should have been offered in terms of aid? Yeah, that's a, that is a good place just to double check. And you could also run the net price calculator for that specific school. Um, not all schools really you know, guarantee funding on their net price calculator. Um, but, you know, when I was at Babson, I was actually in charge of making those updates on the net price calculator each year. So I, I took it very seriously. And if someone told me that our net price calculator yielded different grant funding, I would want to find out why. And, um, and gotcha. ours is very close. So, yeah, so I you, think that's a great double check. Use the tools at your disposal uh, to be able yep. to figure this stuff out. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming out and explaining this. It always helps me to learn a little bit more about the finance piece. So thank you very much. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Uh, speaking of tools at your disposal, um, one of my colleagues uh, on the finance team wrote a recent blog entry on negotiating for financial aid or increasing your financial aid offer. That's on our College Coach blog, which I've mentioned a number of times here on the show. You can find that at info.getintocollege.com forward slash blog. Um, and that's it for today's show. Uh, thank you to all of my guests, for Mike, to Michelle, Beth, and Elise for joining us today to share their experiences and expertise. Next week, we'll bring in the parent perspective to match the student perspectives we've been sharing over the last few weeks. The plan is to discuss how financial considerations play into the college selection process. You won't want to miss that. We'll also be answering listener questions on admissions and discussing negotiation strategies, as we mentioned before, uh, as they relate to recruitment scholarships. So that's a must for any current senior and their family. Uh, If you do have a chance to review us on iTunes, please take a moment to do so today. And remember... Paddy, with two Ds, is derived from the Irish padrig for Patrick. Paddy, with two Ts, is the diminutive of Patricia or a burger, and just not something you call a fella. When you're writing out St. Paddy's Day this year, stick with two Ds. Enjoy your day, people. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.